Do you know the Holy Spirit is, is a colorful personality? Oh, the Holy Spirit is so colorful. I've learned that a long time ago. I'm having the time of my life. I'm working like a dog, but I'm going to tell you, I enjoy every minute of it. There's never a dull moment. Never. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the House of Bliss podcast, your favorite show you've never heard of and the Internet's best kept secret. It's a beautiful, rainy quarantine day here in Ohio. I hope you guys are staying well and staying happy out there. I know this is a really interesting and difficult time for a lot of you, and I am so excited that you decided to tune in today. You have a million options, but you picked this show, so thank you. Before we dive in to today's very, very special, special, super, super extra, extra amazing, amazing fantabulous episode, um, I have a couple of things that I just wanted to bring up. Number one. I have not been real involved on social media in this last year. It's just been, uh, I find that Twitter, Instagram, those things typically gnaw at my soul like rusty acid nails on the chalkboard of my soul. But I also am starting to realize, especially during this time of quarantine, the beauty of uh, just staying together, staying connected. And I know a lot of my listeners actually are out there all spread across the globe and other countries. But if you guys would be interested at all in doing some sort of like perhaps Facebook Live or Discord or Twitter um, or what's the other one? Uh, Twitch. That's what I meant to say. Twitch. Uh, something like that where we could all maybe get together and hang out a bit. There's some other things that I would love to try, like perhaps maybe do a guided meditation time together or even maybe talk about like some end times eschatology stuff, get a discussion going. I just I, I see the value in what this time is producing uh, as far as people staying connected. And so uh, I just wanted to throw that out there. If you are interested, why don't you just head on over to either you can add me personally on Facebook. It's Cole Harmon. Or you can just head over to the House of Bliss Facebook page. That's facebook.com slash hobpod. And just send me a message. Say, hey, I'd be interested in doing something like that. And uh, we'll see what it might take to get that going. The second really brief order of business is if you like this show it would really go a long way to help if you could just give a nice five-star review it's something small but it really helps the show a ton so if you have the ability that would be amazing all right so before we dive into today's interview i just have to give a little bit of precursor I am interviewing one of my best friends in the entire universe. Yeah, I've been to the other parts of the universe. I know. He is quality people. Um, I'm interviewing my friend JR. JR is a mentor to me, a spiritual father. Um, funny enough, he and I actually used to have a YouTube show together like seven or eight years ago now. It was called The Embracing Awkward Show on YouTube. And if you ever feel like watching something hilarious, I will definitely put a link in the show notes for you. JR is a guy who actually spent 10 years as a missionary in Wuhan, China. You might have heard that place brought up on the news recently as the epicenter of the coronavirus. So not only that, but he and his wife, Anita, have ongoing ministry efforts there in Wuhan. And so you're going to have a really exciting opportunity to hear about how you could possibly even be a help to those people during this time. All right, so with all that fanfare out of the way, here it is, my interview with J.R. McGee. just want to welcome JR, one of my best friends in the entire world, to the show. JR, how are you doing today? Doing awesome. So happy to be hanging out with you today. This is like the third attempt I've had at getting you on the podcast before the technology demons show up. Why is that? What's going on there? 
I guess uh, there's something valuable here. Hell does not want to happen. I think so. Well, what I what I have been um, doing lately with my guests, which is a lot of fun, I'm just going to think of questions off the top of my head, and you're going to give me your fastest response, you know, like just quick. So, um, JR, what is your favorite, favorite flavor of toothpaste? Oh, it's got to be peppermint. Pretty basic there. I don't go outside the lines. No, stay within the lines. <laughs> you don't have the, time the for vinegar that. and the pickle one. Don't do it. <laughs> what is the strangest thing that you've ever eaten? Oh, there's a there's a list because I lived in China. So, <laughs> um, well, the the scorpions were always weird. The <laughs> the uh, what do you call those things? A silkworm. Silkworm are pretty gross. Uh, live, live shrimp. Mm. That was that was an interesting one. Live shrimp. Um, uh, of course, you get the dog, the cat. You get those things, but uh, yeah, China is just if you want weird stuff to eat. The trick in China is never ask what are we eating. That is a terrible idea because it usually <laughs> really tastes good until you find out what it was. Like one time, I was eating this thing which i thought was like noodles or pasta and i said what is this and turns out it was intestine filled with brown stuff it was awesome until i was told that (laughs) i uh i went to the asian market recently they had like some of these to-go pre-made meals and i i I saw something and i thought it was calamari by the way it looks so i just bought it i didn't think about it and i was eating it and it was like really chewy and i didn't know what was going on and i realized oh of course it's cow intestine like of course it is (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> wow that is something. calamari cow intestine it's basically the same thing um all right jr let's say hypothetically now don't freak out because this is just hypothetical but let's say a zombie outbreak does occur uh and you get one weapon like one weapon to use for the rest of your survival what would that be um the weapon I would choose would be a lawnmower. Because <laughs> I could turn it on its side and just... <laughs> yeah, my imagination is already going. Um, you, <laughs> along with that, though, you could also keep your yard really nice. So you have There's the a lot. It's a multifaceted tool, yeah. So, JR, you do a lot of uh, real estate. I think this will be the last one. Um, you've had to do a lot of house presentations and stuff. And I'm wondering, what is the what is the most embarrassing thing that's ever happened to you during a house showing? Okay, I've got a few. <laughs> All right, this is good. I hit the jackpot here. One of the times I was showing a house to one of my friends, and turns out he later became my insurance agent, which is a little ironic when you'll find out. Okay. So we parked the car, get out of the car. We walk to the front door and the lady opens the door to let us in. And all of a sudden in the direction of my car, I hear this crash, my car brake let go. And it went <laughs> right through the garage door. <laughs> so that was pretty embarrassing. It's one of those moments where you don't know, like, do we keep showing the house? Do we? <laughs> 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 what do we do here? Um, so that was one. And then, yeah, the client actually became my insurance agent later, which was kind of funny. <laughs> nice. And then another one, we were walking through a house. Well, we got in the house. I yell, hello, anybody here? Because it just had this kind of sense that maybe somebody's in the house. You don't know. But didn't hear anything. Then we heard water shut off. And I thought, huh, that's interesting. So we go down to the first floor, we go upstairs, we round the corner, the bathroom door opens up, and this guy walks out, throws a towel over his shoulder, looks at us and says, what's up? And walks down the hallway, (laughs) butt naked. Oh my God. And my client says, okay, I've seen enough. And we (laughs) left. Man, what what do you have to do for confidence like that? (laughs) (laughs) He pulled it off. (laughs) 
Well, cool, everyone. Well, I I wanted to have Jr. on the show because Jr. and I have been friends for about seven years now. Um, he's like a spiritual father to me. He he's been there through some really interesting times in my life. Uh, in fact, I lived with this family. Uh, two separate times and one of those times i had just moved out of my parents house for the first time i'm in a new state and it turns out i moved into a drug den so i called jr one time because there was a knife fight happening over cocaine in the basement i was living in and uh jr was just kind of like why don't you just come stay with my wife and i and so that began a really amazing friendship so what also happened in that knife fight is I go down into the basement with Cole and Cole grabs his computer, uh, not his, computer his, his guitar and just starts singing worship songs really, really loud oh, with yeah. his guitar while these guys are yelling at each other. <laughs> that was really fun. Yeah, that's and right. And I recently sold that house, which was really weird to go down there with it all cleared up and changed that's hilarious you didn't you didn't bring up the house history did you i did oh, yeah. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh man um so jr i have gotten front row seats many times and you have lived an incredible life um you you live a life of just overwhelming victory like if i had to think of one verse for you it'd be romans 8 where it's in all these things we are more than conquerors and that's not to say that you haven't been through things you absolutely have i know you've gone through uh several major crises in your life but one of the guiding things that i've noticed throughout your life is you'll talk about the voice of god leading you so can you tell me a little bit about the first time you ever felt like God was talking to you? Yeah, so let's see. First time would have to be, I was, uh, I think, sixth grade, sixth, going into seventh grade. I, my neighbor kids were pastors, and they, uh, they invited me to a summer camp. And now you have to understand, I was not a good kid and. Six months before that, my mom was asking me if I ever thought of going to church. And I said, no way. That's stupid. It's all, it's all made up anyway. So I, I uh, wanted to, to just not have anything to do with God. My neighbors invite me to this camp. I go to this camp. I, I mean, I'm teaching these kids how to draw curse words in people's driveways and steal stuff and how easy it was to, to steal stuff from the stores and I was just generally not a good kid. And when I uh, went to this camp, my mindset was, this is a bunch of garbage. At least I get to hang out with my friends and be at a fun camp. Mm. So we were pretty obnoxious. And I think this counselors just had had enough of all of us and wanted a break. So they told everybody at the camp, go out in the woods, sit on a log or a stump and ask God to speak to you. And I took it serious, so I actually thought, okay, they really can do that? I didn't know you could do that, so I'm going to try. <laughs> so I, I went out in the, in the, um, the forest, found a log, sat down on it, and said, all right, God, talk to me. And I seriously thought that there was like a speaker or something around me. And I started looking through the ferns, trying to find, like, is there something here? And it wasn't audible, though. It was like inside my head, almost like, like uh, I don't know how to describe it. It's just like this noise inside my head talking to me. And there were thoughts that were outside. So I was a bad kid. I was reminded constantly I was in trouble. I would be the kid who was in the principal's office literally every day. Mm. <laughs> and I, I just couldn't avoid trouble. I got in fights. Like I had anger and a temper that could just get go from zero to hundred in seconds. So I'm sitting there and I'm hearing a voice tell me I'm a really good kid and I have an uh -huh. amazing future ahead of me. And I'm hearing thoughts that I just haven't heard ever. I seriously so much thought that there was a speaker or a, my, I was looking for someone either hiding in the bushes or something. I, I was sincerely looking for it. And then I realized, wait, they're for real. They, they were told me to go hear from God, and I think I'm hearing from God. And I had this conversation for the first time in my life with God, and it was so real 
and so mind-blowing it, it literally turned me around and i came back and like they said all right come back into the meeting and and i expected we were supposed to give a like a not testimony i didn't know i thought well give a report on what happened so i was excited i was telling people what's happening and they looked at me uh, a little like i was stupid <laughs> because all the other kids went and played in the on the basketball court <laughs> all this no one did what did the right did what they're asked and then the, even the counselors looked at me like, really? I, I don't think you're making this up, aren't you? <laughs> and, but from that point on, I was completely changed. I realized there was something out there. And I would have to say that that caused me to, to follow God. And from now on, like from that point on, I knew that, no, there is something out there. Still a bonehead at times, but <laughs> it kind of sounds like Bart Simpson, like having an encounter with Jesus or something. <laughs> yeah, except for Bart was a good kid. <laughs> Man, you must have been just a, a real pill then, if that's the case. <laughs> I, I was. I was. I was not headed in the right direction. I had some pretty bad friends too. That reminds me, um, kind of of my own like first experience with Jesus because I was at this conference and I was just there mostly because there was going to be games and cute girls, and I got wrecked. I mean, I got slammed by Jesus. I was sobbing. I was crying uncontrollably, and I was sharing a hotel room with these other like boys who really couldn't care less. So they're like in the corner trying to play like Yahtzee or something. And I'm sobbing on my bed. <laughs> it was kind of an awkward moment, but. Uh, yep. And it just, I, I, no grid for it before. And then all of a sudden my teachers even recognized, they said to me, wow, you've really changed. And I would ask them because I personally didn't see the change, but they saw it. And I said, well, what did you, what do you see? And they started telling me, yeah, we really did see you have changed. And they asked me what it was. And I was like, I don't know, but I think Jesus. <laughs> so, so with that, um, a lot of people, you probably know what I'm talking about. But when somebody says, God said this or that, um, it just kind of makes my skin crawl a little bit. Uh, and maybe it has to do with character. I'm not really sure why that all is, but a lot of times the people who say things like that the most are, are people who are pretty unstable or whatever, but it's a completely different story with you. Um, and like I said, I've, I've had front row seats. I've seen how you live your life. You're an excellent dad. Um, you have a, you have a successful business. Um, and yet you are a mystic in that way that you truly hear from God. And not only that, but you've really put yourself out on the line at times. Uh, you, you've gone into some really wild situations because of that. And God always comes through for you. It's amazing. And so just for a little context for those listening, um, I know that one of those places that was wildest of all was you were actually in Wuhan, China of all places. And so I know that you met your wife over there and, and all that, but could you just tell us a little bit about your adventure in China following Jesus? Whew. Well, first of all, like the, uh, the idea that saying that God told me, it's okay, I think, at some level to say God told me, but it's very personal. It's not public. Yeah. I, if, if I were to tell somebody God told me, sometimes it's very manipulative. So I will avoid telling somebody that like the plague because it can be, it can be getting other people to do something because God told you something. I think it's very personal and I like seeing just my own personal rule and I don't follow this all the time, but I really try to, if God showed me something, I'll pursue it because God showed me. He's not necessarily showed Cole or other people. He's shown me. So it's my responsibility to do what I can. And if I'm truly meant to be a leader in that, then other people will be told also. That's one of those rules. Well, God showed me very clearly, personally, that I needed to go to China for a year through a series of events. And the crazy thing is I, I uh, told a friend of mine, hey, I've got this idea. I'm going to go to China for a year. And I thought I'd just see if you're interested. And sure enough, because he went on a bike trip with me in China and he goes, crazy enough. I was just talking to God and I feel like I should go to China for a year too. So the two of us <laughs> went to China together 
and lived there for a year and went on this massive epic adventure for a year, really discovering practical ways to hear God's voice in very dangerous and costly situations. <laughs> One of the ones that comes top of mind was when the United States accidentally bombed the Chinese embassy in Kosovo. Ugh. And I'm in China and my friend and I were on this bus going to Guangzhou and we look over and we see this, uh, we didn't know what the building was. Later we find out it's the United States embassy and we see all these people around it with uh, protesting and it didn't look, it didn't look like it looked dangerous, but we didn't know why. And we didn't know what the building was. We didn't, but I asked somebody in the bus, oh, what's that? And they said, oh, that's a protest. And I went, uh, about what? And they didn't explain anything to me. We get home. It's about two hours later, uh, two hours away. So we get home and I hear all of this explosions and people yelling and stuff happening. And I we thought, what is going on in China? Oh no. And these these kids, students that we knew, they came running to our apartment, pounding on the door, and they said, Don't come out. It's dangerous. The United States has accidentally not they didn't say accidentally bombed our embassy in Kosovo and they want it, they're yelling, kill the Americans, kill oh, the no. Americans. Uh. And so, of course, the first reaction is like, oh, no, I'm, I'm terrified because I'm hearing things blow up. And I don't know what they're blowing up. I don't know what's going on. I don't know why they're blowing up their own stuff first. <laughs> What's that all about? It's not the 4th of July. So, that's <laughs> so we're there. And we waited out the night. People are banging on our door. We kept oh it locked. Goodness. And um, I went to bed that night. I'll be honest, pretty fearful. Didn't know what that was all about. When I woke up, God said to me, do you want to, and Bill Clinton was the president of the United States at the point. And he said, do you want to die for Bill Clinton or do you want to die for me? And I went, well, I want to die for you. <laughs> Trick question, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, so God gives me a plan and he says, I want you to go down to this. Back then you had internet bars where that's where you did got connected to the internet. Went to this internet bar, wrote out a letter of apology. I had no idea what I was writing when I got in there. Um, but I just started writing top of mind. It was just this thing that came out. I wrote it. I went through the campus where people were protesting. I went to one of my friend's apartments and said, can you translate this for me? He reads it and he says, this is incredible. Yes, I'll translate it for you. So he translates it in Chinese. I go back to the internet bar and nobody's touched me at this point, which is crazy because I didn't know how violent it was getting. And I was like, I just walked right through. No, like I was a ghost. It was really kind of eerie how I'd walk and no one would mess with me. Mm. And then I went to the internet bar, printed off like a hundred copies of this letter and then I started listening for where the protests were. And they would gather in like groups of a thousand yelling and shouting, <laughs> kill the Americans and all this stuff. So I walked to the biggest place I could see. I, I could hear like in the center of campus. And I went and started shaking hands saying, I'm so sorry. And I'd hand them the letter. And as I was doing that, I'd look up and all of a sudden the entire protest was gone. Wow. And I'd have these conversations with people and the letter basically spelled out, I'm sorry, this is awful. This should never happened. And it spelled out the forgiveness story of Jesus. Mm. It was the weirdest letter. I wish I had a copy of it today because the way it was written was just really interesting. I didn't know till later that it was written for a Chinese mind. I'm not, I wasn't a Chinese mind, but I didn't understand the Chinese culture, but he told me how it was written for Chinese people. So then I started taking this letter and going around and listen for the next big protest somewhere. So I'd walk a mile to the next protest and I would go do the same thing. Then another, and I started looking for this protest and I would kill the protests. So it was really interesting to see that. But then about a week later, they planned a national protest that was based in the city of Shenzhen. It was being broadcast nationwide it was in this uh, this big stadium, and 
these people came onto the campus to recruit students to go attend this big protest, probably a hundred thousand people or something. And I said, Oh, I want to go to that. And they said, no, 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 you don't want to go. I said, no, I really want to go. Give me a ticket. So they gave me a ticket and I heard God say, are you ready to die for me tonight? <laughs> so I go to this big, huge massive oh, protest in this stadium. I get to the turnstile where they check your ticket and they look, and they look at me like, are you serious? What are you doing here? <laughs> and, and I give them the ticket and they said, fine, come on in. I'm standing there and all of a sudden they had these big war drums in the base of the, of the stadium going on and all of a sudden out of out of i mean the lights the drums the noise the speakers it's you could feel like anger and tension and all of a sudden the power goes out for the entire stadium oh and killed the mood big time and you just hear people kind of talking amongst themselves and then they try to get on again and it shuts off again and then you, all you hear in the, is like, you hear the massive drums and it's ding, 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 ding. <laughs> and it goes away. And then they try to do a, a song and the guy gets up, starts to do this song and it just about ready to the chorus with all the emotion and the speakers cut out, the lights go out and everybody's sitting there just kind of talking to themselves. And this goes on for an hour and then people start leaving and it gets kind of like, this is stupid. <laughs> and it dies. Wow. And then God says to me, thank you. And he said, now I want you to go to Hong Kong and just enjoy the weekend. And I still don't know what that was all about. I don't know if I had anything to do with all that. I don't know what that was, but it was just fascinating to go on that journey. And I felt like I seriously died at that point. Like it, JR didn't exist anymore. And it was just like Jesus. Wow, that's in, that's insane, man. Uh, and and you have all kinds of stories like that where you you know that God is talking to you and it's led you into situations that other people would be freaked out about, but because you have such a close, amazing, um, sort of relationship with God like that, you're, you're able to trust. Um, so a couple of other questions for you about China. Um, so you, so you went to Wuhan, you're in this place that's obviously, uh, it goes up and down as far as how dangerous it is. Um, so, so what, what were you doing there? So I went, oh, crazy, another crazy story. So I wake up one morning, I'm in that same apartment, and God says, you want to go on an adventure? I say, yeah. So he says, get your stuff and just follow my instructions. So I, I uh, get some stuff, and I don't really even know where I'm going. I Seriously, at this point, all I did is just grab a backpack, put some clothes in it, not a lot of clothes, just enough for like a few days. And I uh, headed downstairs and God said, okay, buy some like you have street vendors and they, they sell these buns. And I, I, he said, buy some of those buns. So, and then he said, don't eat them. Okay. So, uh, and then he said, all right, go catch the bus. So I go to this place, I catch a bus to go to downtown Shenzhen. While I'm on the bus, I'm thinking, well, I've got these buns and what do I do with these? Uh, and I'm thinking, well, this is kind of stupid. I shouldn't let these go cold because then they're no good. And I start eating them oh, no. and then the bus stops and this really, really crazy man gets on the bus, a crazy, scary, where people are, are moving away from him. And he sits down right in front of me and God says, those buns were for him, you dork. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, ah, oh, so sorry. Well then God says, no, it's okay. We'll just keep moving. And would get off the bus and, and all of a sudden I ha while I'm on the bus, God showed before I get off the bus, I'm on the bus and God shows me an entire vision of, and I'm awake. I'm not asleep. I'm just sitting there on the bus. And I, I had like a daydream vision of me rescuing kids, doing all this work with people. 
and I'm married and I have my own kids and I'm getting off the bus. And while I'm getting off the bus, I'm with my wife and my kids. And at this point I'm single. I'm, I don't have a wife and, and I'm actually thinking, Oh man, I don't know anybody who'd ever want to go on this kind of journey with me. <laughs> no, no woman. And I'm, I'm totally perplexed thinking this is impossible. No one would want to do this. I crossed the border as, and it felt like I'm in two times. One, I'm in the time I'm in right now. And two, I'm in, I feel like I'm in the future with somebody else with my own kids. So it was weird. I was like in this dual dimension thing. Then I go into Hong Kong and that evening or that day I go to church service and this guy tells me about uh, this orphanage that he works at. I thought, oh, cool. Maybe that's what I should do. So I, I plan to go to this orphanage. I go, I go to my friend's house and he says, oh, instead of going to the orphanage, how about you go see what our friend Anita is doing in the center of China? I thought, and it just resonated with me. Yeah, go do that. Because it was halfway between Beijing and Hong Kong. And I thought, I'll just stop in there and make my way to Hong Kong. That evening, I went to a, uh, a vineyard worship service in this beautiful old church. And in the middle of the worship service, I'm sitting there and God says, you'll get married in this church. And I thought, no, nah, no, no way. I, I won't get married in Hong Kong. That's not happening. And, they, and he reminds me again a second time. He goes, you get married in this church. And I, no, because there's nobody. I wouldn't marry a, a, a Chinese person. I wouldn't marry somebody from Hong Kong. I'm not going to do that. I kind of had a girlfriend at that point back in America. So I was like, nah, this is not going to happen. Oh. And then the third time, God says, you're going to get married in this church. And I thought, well, if you did get married, I'm looking around this beautiful Episcopalian, beautiful church and God. And I, I just say, well, if someone did get married here, the cool thing is you wouldn't have to spend a bunch of money on decorations because it's already so beautiful. Practical mind. <laughs> and, and so I left that and that, that um, turns out several years later, that was the only place available, but you had to be, you had to go through all these hoops. We end up getting married in that church, which is crazy. Mm. Well, Anita is in the center of China. I go visit her. And while I'm there, I just, something inside me said, look at her, take <laughs> note of her. And so, and I, I really saw what Anita was doing with the kids. And it was just full, fully what I saw in that vision of helping kids. Wow. I didn't tell her about it. I just kept it to myself. I wasn't like, I'm not going to tell her this God says or anything. <laughs> um, I just kind of watched her observed and listened to God. And then last night, funny enough, I was watching the celebration in Wuhan about them. Everybody's out of, they don't have to do quarantine now. And there's this big celebration and I had a video on the same bridge where I really was battling with God, like, really? I'm getting married to somebody from China? <laughs> and I saw that spot last night. Oh, like, wow. yeah, that really happened. I was right there where they're videoing right now. That so I ended up awesome. going to see uh, Anita in Wuhan, ended up getting connected with the, the ministry and that uh, whole process of that. We did get married. And then one day, Anita and I were traveling across that same spot. And I would tell you, like, exactly the way the vision unfolded for me. And Anita and I and Amanda and Josiah were with me. And it was like I was in the two dimensions again. It was the weirdest, weirdest thing crossing that border. And I almost wept because I thought, wow, God, you were, you were there showing me ahead of time stuff that was going to happen and getting my heart ready for all this. Oh, man, that's amazing. And uh, I, I do understand kind of those. It's hard to explain. They're not exactly out of body, but they're, they're these supernatural encounters where you know that you know that you know that God is speaking to you. And it's the craziest and most amazing thing to see it actually play out in your life. I've had a few moments like that. There's so many questions I have just after hearing that. I love, I love it. 
So, so Anita, your wife, she's Chinese. Uh, you met her there. You're in Wuhan, and then you started um, like a school, right, for kids, where you're you're taking them out of poor areas, and then you're you're helping get them educated and get them opportunities, and everything was going going well. You actually had what, like a thousand kids or something at one point. Yep, we had uh, over a thousand kids in the program. We had so we had eighteen kids living with us, and we were the same week I got arrested. We were about ready to take possession of a property. We would about house five hundred kids. Okay, and so yeah, so that so you're there. You're living this vision that God gave you. You're there. You're rescuing kids, literally out of just crazy, awful situations. You're seeing a whole lot of success, and then all of a sudden, it all comes to an end, right? Like you ended up getting kicked out of the country. Can you share just a little bit about that? Yes. So all this is Anita's fault. (laughs) (laughs) She was the one that started and founded the entire thing. From 1998 to 2005, we were doing this with the government's help, by the way. So we weren't just doing it because we, uh, and we're just renegades. We actually didn't work with the government. Okay. really interesting is like some days we'd be walking with the government through the villages, going house to house with uh, visiting the kids. And I remember one day, these are communist officials who are walking with us. And we became really good friends with them, by the way. They're, 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 there's two parts of China. There's the, the people, and then there's the communist leaders, um, the people in general are amazing, but this one leader, he, he said to me, he goes, and it was crazy. He said it basically out of scripture. He said, surely God is with you. And I went, what What are you talking about? <laughs> and he said, no, God is with you. I said, well, what are you talking about? You're a communist. You don't know what God is about. He goes, no, no, no. Nobody does what you guys are doing. Surely God is with you. And that was one of my scriptures when I first went to China. It's like, uh, let your good works shine before men in such a way that they say, surely God is with you. Yeah. And so it was, it was really interesting that, that we'd have those experiences with these leaders. And he was, by the way, the, the guy that taught me how to eat live shrimp. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> so where was I? Oh, so we, yeah. So we would be working with the officials. We were legally registered. We had a legal business, an entity that allowed us to bring these kids to live with us, to train them because we had a company, a wedding company, which allowed us to do a lot of different businesses. Um, and that was completely legal. Then one day, 41 police stormed our building and gave me a guilt-free ticket out of China because I was ready to live there for the rest of my life. Not that I really wanted to. I just kind of died to the fact that I was going to. Gotcha. And I, um, I, yeah, I remember that day weeping because the vision was kind of over when they arrested me and, Uh, uh, yeah, and and then we went to the court trial and going through that trial, there was, there was a, a point in the middle of it. I was defending our position and God says to me, stop it. I'm setting you free. Mm. And I went, mm. wow. Okay. And at that point I had a Palm Pilot PDA thing, <laughs> a Palm Pilot that um, had a, a ability to take pictures and I just thought back, I'm like, well, God, if you're in this, I might as well just relax. And I took my camera out and they have, they have these like massive TV cameras around me. They have microphones. They have the, the whole jury of police in front of me with the, the head guy. I'm in a courtroom and I just get my camera out and start taking pictures. And I thought, I, I'm fully protected now. <laughs> I got to take advantage of the situation. <laughs> and um, they, they gave me the sentence that I had to leave China and never come back again. Funny enough, we came back nine months later. <laughs> right. And we just made it through that whole process. But after I heard that God said to me, I'm in this, just back off. There was so much peace and actual joy that came over me. Like, hey, we're going to be fine. And then nine months later, and oh, so back, rewind a little bit. Nine months before that, I thought I was losing my mind. 
Hmm. I don't know if I was sick. I don't know what was going on, but something was not going well. I couldn't even, pro if someone came to me and said, hey, what do you want for lunch? That threw my mentally off and I couldn't process. And so we took a break for a little while. And on that break, I, I saw that God was saying, you're going to be leaving China soon. Prepare for the leave. So I did, we set everything up so that it would really be run by our, our kids and the leaders who are, were in China, and I would have really nothing to do with it anymore. Well, not, about nine months later, we had Chinese New Year, and we had the, the winter camp. So we have about 1,000 kids in the program. They all show up to this camp. We have guests from all over the world helping with this camp and English training. And I walked into a meeting that I normally had full control over, and I looked over at this table, and it was all of our staff arguing and negotiating with each other and planning. And all I had to do is walk in, do my presentation, walk out, and it's all I had to do that day. And I remember thinking, wow, we did it. They're now running this whole show. And a couple of weeks later, I was arrested. So that was pretty crazy to see how it was all lined up. And then after I was arrested, I was back in America and Anita went back to China because she wasn't actually the one arrested, and, but we had to close everything down. She went to China and through a series of friends was told to go visit this, this company that had massive influence in China. They had a private school. And this private school was very, very expensive. But they approached Anita and said, hey, we heard about what happened to all the kids in, with what your work in China. How about you bring them over here and it will only charge you $30,000 a year for them to go to our private international school. Wow. And Anita calls me all excited and in America and says, you won't believe this. We got this huge opportunity. And I thought, that's great, honey, but we don't have $30,000. And we had seen God provide enough times to know like, but somehow it's going to show up. So we hung up with that kind of conversation. They're like, it'll work out. Who knows how it's going to work out. Five minutes later, I got a call from this doctor in LA and he said, Hey, you don't know me, but my pastor is a friend of yours. And he told me about what you're doing to China. And I'd like to send you $30,000. How could I do that? <laughs> I thought it was a prank. So I totally thought they're pranking me. And I said, so oh, this is not a funny joke. Like, what do you, why are you guys doing this? Anita's not very much into pranks. So I kind of was like, a little confused. <laughs> and he said, why do you think it's a prank? So I told him the story. And afterwards he goes, well, this is not a prank. How do I send you $30,000? Ended up going to this international school. And I think, Cole, actually, yeah, you were there. You got to see the school and everything. I did. You're listening to In the Sunrise by my good friend, Scott Crowder. This is off his album, Upon Shoulders. And if you head on over to his website, it's a .org, not a .com. It's scottcrowder.org slash music. You can find this and all kinds of other goodies. And if you didn't know, a few months back, I did an amazing interview with him. So check that out while you're at it. you had this vision god showed you something very clear and specific it was a very bumpy road getting there but you were there and you were weeping because you saw exactly what the lord showed you and yet in a way it completely fell apart but in another way it actually took off and went beyond anything that you could ever do on your own. So just so the listeners know, I actually did get to go with JR uh, to China. I got to meet the original generation of kids that they um, worked with. And they're all like doctors and lawyers and distinguished members of society. And they're actually continuing the work in Wuhan and, and other places, right? In Shanghai and yeah, uh, And it was just like, it's so amazing that even though you don't live there, you still have this legacy of what God gave you that's continuing to grow without you. But that also leads me into some other things is like, it, 
it totally worked out. And yet at the same time, uh, you had to leave China and then you went to South Africa for a while and you were doing the same thing there. And then that kind of fell apart. And here, here's kind of what I wanted to ask you about is, JR, you are somebody who in every situation you're in, you always encounter major problems and yet you always come out like thriving. And so when I think of you, I truly think of that verse in Romans 8, in all these things, we are more than conquerors. And a lot of people are sick of being beat over the head with Christian platitudes and positivity, like, oh, you know, God will get through it. All things work together. But you are somebody who has, like, earned that verse. And you, when you look somebody in the eye and tell them, hey, it's going to be okay. God's going to get us through this. Like, you have a super long and impressive list of crises that you've lived through. Like I saw that you did a Facebook post a while back about all these major things you've lived through. Can you just give us like the list of major breakdowns that you've lived through? Sure. And, and you know, just have, uh, one of the things that reminds me of is that Saturday Night Live skit. If it ain't Scottish, it's crap. Do <laughs> you remember that? I don't think I've seen that one. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, a kind of another alternative to that phrase, if it ain't practical, it's crap. Yes. Sometimes I think people make Christianity not very practical. Yeah. It's not real life. It doesn't touch earth. It's from heaven to earth. And so it, it, to me, my faith has to be real. And if it doesn't hit earth, it's crap. <laughs> so I'm, I'm reading it right now, my little breakdown here. And this is just, I just wanted to, on the Facebook thing, I thought, I'm just going to break down some of the highlights. So uh, in 9-11, when 9-11 happened, we went from having some support to no support, but we just kept moving forward thinking, well, you'll figure it out, God, because this is either it's a man-made ministry or it's a God-made ministry. Mm. And we didn't stop anything, and we just kept uh, sponsoring kids and figured it out. So some of it meant we sold stocks, sold buildings, did whatever we could to, to keep moving forward. Uh, in 2003, we went to SARS in Wuhan, which is very ironic. Wow. And lived that once again. Everything had to be shut down. My English training business I built up was shut down. Everything we did to earn money and keep everything going was shut down, but we kept moving forward. 2005, I told you about that, being arrested. And that actually turned into our kids getting to go, being a, being a part of a, an accredited school, which got them into the top universities of China, which is pretty crazy. Uh, after... After South Africa, we moved back to America just in time for 2008. I'm in real estate. So 2008, the market collapses, and I missed all the good, air quotes, good economy, and came back and became one of the top real estate people. I just suffer a while. I have to be honest. It's all not just easy. We suffered for a while, but we never went without. And my kids, I've been asking them, hey, what do you remember that time? And they only remember it being a good time. I remember late nights working really, really hard. You know how sometimes you, you think, okay, if I work this much, I deserve this much. I remember several times thinking, I don't deserve this much. That just doesn't make sense. So <laughs> it was kind of a, a weird turn of events. 2018, we, we had the car fires and the campfires here in Redding and in Northern California that destroyed the market for a while. And we roared back and Redding is better than ever. And we had my best year ever. And then now we have this virus, and I can see that my team, we are really positioned to have one of the best years ever. We're on shutdown, sort of, but we're doing things right now that I'm looking at what we're doing. It's almost like we're, get, we're in a race. We're like in a marathon, and we've got a mile head start on everybody else in the market because of the things we're doing. So, so everything is for our good. I. Any crisis, I think political-wise, people like to say never waste a good crisis. Graham Cook likes to mention James 1, where consider it pure joy when you face crises because they develop our perseverance. And perseverance finishes good works to become perfect, complete, 
not lacking anything. I like, I like the not lacking anything. <laughs> I like that too. One of my favorite moments in my time when I was living with you guys is uh, we, we had become friends and we knew that all of us were supposed to go to BSSM in Reading. And so, um, but you also really wanted your kids to go to their Christian school. And people might think Reading is like this massive church. It's really not. Um, so their school has very limited space. And so uh, I remember you, you, were, <laughs> you and your wife were out of money. And I was out of money and tuition payments were coming up in a couple of days. And you also had to pay for your kids' tuition. And so I think we were, we all knew God told us we were going to get in. So we were like, well, what should we do? Maybe we should celebrate. So I think, I think we had wine and ice cream and then oh, within, a, <laughs> yeah, we, we mixed them, which is a terrible idea. Don't ever do that. <laughs> I, I think, I, I think in my head, I thought, oh, like root beer floats. No, not like root beer floats. But anyway, the point of the story is uh, within a few days, um, your kids supernaturally got into the school. You guys got enough money for school. And I even got enough money for school uh, just randomly. And it's like, ah, oh, see, this is that thing. Like, JR, you are one of those people, you just never back down from a challenge, even when it gets really scary, even when it looks like it's going to cost you. Um, God always gets you through. And so, I guess the real question, like I wanted to give everybody all this context uh, because people forget that when Paul wrote, we are more than conquerors, he was not just having a slightly rough day. <laughs> he talks about famine and persecution and getting the crap beat out of him. And so you, JR, are a person who's lived through similar things. So when you give us advice, it actually really carries weight. So what I want to ask is, the whole world is running around, worried about this virus, worried about the economy, worried about stuff. What advice do you have for people uh, who are afraid of that kind of thing right now? There's a, a contrary belief I have that, that contradicts itself in a bit. Is One is I'm hoping for the best, but I'm planning for the worst. So... I'll, I'll go back to like, remember we went, we wanted to go into the school and we didn't have money. So I was hoping for the best that the money would come. And ironically, we didn't really ask people for the money, but I remember Sunday before we had to pay the money during worship, somebody texted Anita saying they're going to repay us, repay us a debt that they owed us of $20,000. Oh, wow. <laughs> Where did that come from? Um, so I hope for the best, but I plan for the worst. The worst for us at that point was, well, we just keep doing the Jesus games and keep learning what we, we've been learning through the Jesus games. So right now I'm hoping for the best. I'm hoping that everything will be fine, but I'm also planning for the worst. If this thing goes for six months and I have to be shut down and we, and the entire economy is shut down and people are losing a lot, I'm planning for that too. So I, I pick your poison, Satan, because uh, I'll win either way. Well, I think sometimes the temptation for some people when they hear what you're talking about is they go, oh, well, you're just JR. But if somebody maybe wants to develop learning to hear the voice of God um, in the way that you do, and you've already said some really amazing stuff on that, like you're not necessarily trying to broadcast this to everyone, like, hey, God told me this and this and this. And you also said it's got to be real practical. Um, it, it has to actually have flesh and blood, but is there anything else um, that you would want to help people understand about how to kind of hear the voice of God and, and follow that in a way like you do? If it was easy, everybody does it. So yeah. I, I think some people don't realize people a lot of times see God as the get out of jail free card in a lot of areas I see it as we, it's like a muscle. If I don't, if I don't exercise a muscle, it will get weak. If I don't exercise the hearing of God, and that happens to me now, even now, I mean, I'm, I wouldn't say that there are days where I, there are days where I would probably need to tune in the stereo to God's voice 
And other days it's just easy because the muscle's strong. Mm. So I have to keep developing it, keep practicing it. If people are not hearing from God, practice like practice hearing from God in really simple ways, writing in a journal saying, God, I want to hear your voice and write out thoughts and just get tuned into the voice. You'll find like what I find is I'll tune in like some there's days where I'm really complaining. I maybe have listened to the news too much, or I'm, I've been hearing too much negative feedback from clients and I'm just, I'm kind of filthy from hanging out with the world and I can hear my tone is really negative. Well, I'll start writing in my journal until I noticed that it flips over and I actually now hearing God, not me anymore. Mm. Or I'll go pray, I'll walk around and just ask God to, to talk to me and I'll start thinking and talking about things until I start hearing it come out from God's perspective. So it takes practice. It takes effort. It's a relationship. It is a real relationship. He's so real. But some people think, well, I tried that. Two things. I tell my kids this all the time. What's the difference between looking and seeking? Mm. Some people look at God and say, I looked and he's not there. (laughs) Other people seek. And when they seek, they find. When Mm. you look, people don't find it. I look for God. He didn't exist. That's a common statement. Other people who say, who truly seek, you will always find. Has to be super intentional though. Same way with my business right now. I'm in a group of real estate people who, um, some of, uh, some of the people, um, they have staff on their team that are not being intentional about this time. And they're noticing that their numbers are dropping. Then they have other people on their team where they're being super intentional at the time and their numbers are actually increasing like mm-hmm. better than it was before the, before the quarantine. And the, I think this rule follows throughout life, but especially in the kingdom, if you're intentional and you keep pursuing, you will find it. mentioned James 1. Uh, we've mentioned Romans. Um, what are some other like key verses or revelations that God's shown you that kind of keep you in that mindset? Because I know, like, like you said, you're not immune from the pain of it. And I've seen you in those times where you're like on the edge of discouragement. And yet you always have these things that I know you repeat and you say that keep you locked into hope. So can you share a couple of those things? Okay. Well, there's, um, uh, I think it's first Bruce Lee chapter one. (laughs) (laughs) Um, he said it's better to be perfect, uh, be an expert on two kicks than be familiar with a thousand. Mm. And sometimes I think, I just want to dive into some principles that God has said. These are core principles. Get to know these and I'll take you farther. Mm. And one, one really core principle that I have followed is what does it say to do first? What are the primary things that God wants? Well, the first thing Jesus said was seek first the kingdom of God yeah. and righteousness and all these things would be added to you. I have sat on that verse now for, wow, 20, probably 20 years. And it just keeps unfolding and unfolding and unfolding. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things are added to you. First. That's so good, man. Wow. Yeah. And that's a, that's, a, that's a promise that you've taken to the bank over and over again. And, and what about just, I know like you're, you're really in the business world. Uh, you do a lot of reading and listening to podcasts and stuff. Um, are there any like favorite books that you have that you could recommend that may not necessarily be 
like churchy, but just like really great books that keep you inspired? Yes. The Automatic Millionaire. This is a basic book about money and finances that I wish someone would have sat down with me before I went to China and said, get your life in order. You'll be able to rescue a million kids versus a thousand kids. Mm. If you follow this principle, it's not get rich quick. It's automating your finances and it will over time turn out into millions. And it also will protect you in times like this because I've been able to save up money. I'm not really worried about the crisis right now because of that, that book. I'm very grateful for the principles in there. I have money to weather the storm. Mm. I would recommend all believers follow those principles. It's they're good Jewish principles. They're Proverbs principles. It's not written by a Christian guy, but it's a good, I think he's Jewish actually, <laughs> um, but they're basic principles that everybody should know. I'm trying to think of another book, top of mind book. Who's, um, who's the, who's the author on that? David Bach. David Bach. Okay. Okay. Automatic millionaire. I give it out to all my clients at closing because I want that. My thought was if, if everybody in my town knew those principles, we'd be the wealthiest town in America. Mm. Uh, I love practical books because I can grab like spiritual books are awesome. I do enjoy spiritual books because it shows me um, the, like I like spiritual books that show me the opportunities that, that show me what's possible. Mm. I also like practical books because it shows me what's possible in the natural. I want to know both. I want to know the natural, what, what is the basis for every natural human being? Then I like to see the spiritual books because they show me what's possible when we add spirit to it. Oh, that's awesome, man. What a great perspective. JR, thank you so much, man. This has been a really stirring, incredible conversation. Um, I'm sure people have a lot to chew on, but I can't let you go before I help other people understand, like, what are you up to now and how can people follow along? So what am I up to now? I'm being a dad and I'm being practical <laughs> daily dad, uh, working on raising four kids who don't always want to do kingdom stuff because the world's trying to pull them into non-kingdom stuff. So I'm being a dad. Also, my wife is being a mom, but her big job being a mom and continuing supporting the, the team in China that they, they get through all the roadblocks, especially this coronavirus, oh, the Wuhan coronavirus in Wuhan. Um, so that's kind of the stuff. So if anybody wants to, partner with my wife at rescuekids.org. She's in the middle of rebuilding the website. So if there's anybody want to help her with that rebuilding of that website, that would be awesome. Practical stuff. And, and if anybody knows anyone wanting to buy or sell or invest in real estate here in Reading, let me know. I love it. Um, so the last, last thing is JR, would you mind uh, praying for, for us? Because right. I think if there's ever a time where people could really truly see that kind of thing in action in their lives, it's right now in the middle of a global crisis. You've seen it time and time again. So yeah, could you just impart and release some of that for us listening? Perfect. So Jesus, thank you that you are the Prince of Peace. And what this world right, needs right now is the Prince of Peace. Thank you that you are perfect love. You cast out fear. Help us right now to be people that cast out fear. Mm. Perfect love casts out fear, and fear casts out love. Help us to be stronger than fear right now. Help us to multiply peace. And thank you that we're all going to make it. Matter of fact, you've promised we're all going to make it, and we're going to do better than we did before the virus. And I thank you that you're going to give us solutions for the world. Thank you, Jesus, that we're going we're gonna to come out with solutions that the world's been waiting for. Thank you. Bless everybody. Amen. It matters what we do. It matters what we say. It matters how we live out the day.
for listening to today's show. If you'd like to give money into JR and Anita McGee's ongoing missionary efforts in China, visit rescuekids.org. You can also find out about how they're expanding into Thailand and Cambodia to help victims of human trafficking. Please consider giving to this amazing cause. I'll put the link in the show notes. Have an amazing day. Thank you.